Well, it's good to be back. I'm so thankful uh, for the men who preached for me while I was out, um, for Isabel and um, <clears throat> for Scott Berthel and for Matt McKinney. Uh, just what a blessing to have uh, men who uh, can properly divide God's word for us. And so, so blessed uh, t- for them to uh, be teaching through Acts um, as well. And so thank you guys for doing that, uh, for great things um, uh, about those messages. And it's been good to, uh, to be able to be away and, and know that uh, um, things are being done well, so thank you for, for doing that. Um, as we look at this text this morning, I, I want us to know that, that we live in a very superficial age. Uh, we live in an age where uh, what we see or, or the aspect of things is, is kind of where our world kind of hangs out at. And, and we, we're in a world that, that is out of touch with, with reality, what, what is real. Uh, many are out of, out of touch with reality because they're, they're out of touch with God. You see, we're going to see this morning, we've heard it already through what Robert read, is that everything relates to God. Everything does. Everything relates back to him. And many in our age have disregarded him. Some will say when we are speaking of God that it is just mere religion. But I want you to know this morning that it is truly reality. Because everything relates back to him. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants his hearers, wants us to understand this morning as he's on his first missionary journey, is that that everything relates to God. And and so as we look at this text this morning, I want you to think about this. How is God working in your life? How have you seen him at work? And and some of you might be sitting there thinking this morning and thinking, man, I I, I don't know if he is. And and for some of us, I, I think he is, but I think what happens a lot of times is we don't sit back and see how he is working. We don't maybe recognize it. We don't maybe stop and be still enough to to know that he is truly God and how he's working in the threads of our life because he is most definitely at work. And so we pick up the text this morning, and here's the Apostle Paul. He's on his first missionary journey, and he finds himself in this place called Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch is a Roman colony in present-day Turkey, and on this day, it's a Sabbath day, Paul and his crew that had been traveling together are there in the synagogue. It was a common thing that Paul would do. He would visit the synagogue when he would enter a city, and he does so here. And sitting in that synagogue are Jews, but also God-fearing Gentiles as well. And he enters the synagogue, and the tradition in the synagogue was that the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, would be read. And then other Old Testament texts. That was kind of how it rolled. And then what would happen is the leader of the synagogue would then appoint someone to stand up and share a word of exhortation. And on this day, Paul and his crew were asked to do that. And that's what we see in verse 13, 14, and 15 as they're called on to share. And then look at verse 16. It says, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen up, listen up. And so here is Paul's first sermon that we're going to read about in the book of Acts. And so what is Paul going to do in this sermon? Because we're going to basically take a sermon this morning and dissect it. And what's he going to say is this, three things that I want us to pick up on. First of all this, that there is a great and glorious God who is at work, he's been at work in history, and he continues to work today, know him, know who he is. 
Second, he's going to tell us that there is one who is the Messiah, who is God's son. His name is Jesus, and he is what all of history and everything that has happened and is happening points to. It's all about him. Know him. I mean, that's what Paul's really getting to. And then thirdly and lastly, he's going to answer the question, well, how can I know him? How can I know this great, glorious God? How can I know his son, Jesus Christ? And God's going to tell, or Paul's going to tell us how. And he's going to tell us the great good news of knowing Christ and what that means for those who know him. It's a beautiful text. So let's look at it this morning. Here's what we're going to do. The first uh, 15, 16 verses this morning, we're, just going to, we're going to just jot them down real quick. And here's what we're going to do is we're going to find in this text, there are 16 declarations that Paul is going to make. He's going to make 16 declarations about the working of God. And when you hear this, I want you to just sit back and think, wow, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing because it is. And, and that God is doing this. Wasn't the work of man, but it's the work of God. And so look at what Paul says. He begins in verse 17. Listen to what he says. He says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And so there's three right off the bat that Paul declares about God. First of all, that God chose the people of Israel. He chose them. They didn't decide one day, hey, you're, we're going to be a nation. We're going to come and, and you know, kind of get this thing together. God chose them. He, he took Abraham, he called Abraham out, and he made a nation. The second one is this this morning. It says also in the text that he made them a great people. You remember at the end of Genesis, in the beginning of Exodus, we find Israel expanding and growing, even though they were in Egypt. And, and what does the ruler of Egypt do? He, he feels threatened by that because they're growing. This isn't just an act of fertility. This is a, an act of God, that God is growing the people. He's growing the nation. And then third, it says that God lifted his arm and he led them out from Egypt. Remember that, right? God calls out Moses. He calls him to lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And how does God do that through the Red Sea, the splitting of it? And so Paul, from the beginning, says, I want you to hear what God has done. And then look at verse 18. He says, for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Now, we hear that this morning. We're like, yeah, sometimes God just puts up with us. That's not really kind of the attitude here. The idea of putting up is, is a little bit different. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, listen to what uh, Moses recounts. Uh, about the wilderness experience and what God was doing. And it says this, in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. So this putting up is not just, man, I'm just putting up with them. He, he carried them. He carried them. And then he says, just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came into this place. And so the idea of God putting up with the Israelites is that he cared for them. Like a father does his children. God has cared for the Israelites. And he's taken them through the wilderness. He has sustained them and guided them. And then look at verse 19. So that's four declarations he shares already. In verse 19 it says, When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance of all which took about 450 years. And so here we get the fifth and the sixth declaration. The first one is this, that God destroyed seven nations of the land. Not Israel destroyed seven nations in the land. So when you read in places like Joshua 
and you read about the conquests of the people of Israel, what Paul is saying is that God conquered those nations. In fact, I encourage you to go on our website, uh, get linked in to the daily devotionals that, that are being written by our elders right now. They're in Joshua. Uh, elders and staff and other members of our church have been writing uh, for over, uh, this is our second year, and, and, and a daily devotional comes out. Love free to connect with that. Right now they're in Joshua. We're seeing some of the, the conquests. In fact, I think the other day we just, maybe it's this morning, we're reading about uh, finally the Israelites defeat the nation of Ai, this small little, little nation. This is what Paul is talking about, uh, that, that God conquered these nations. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, the proverb says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And so Paul wants Israel to know God is the one who made those conquests of the nations happen. And then he also said God distributed their land as an inheritance. What does that mean? It means this, that God owns everything, and it is his to grant and give. And so the inheritance of the nations, the land to the people of Israel, that was because God gave it to them. And then look at the seventh declaration, verse 20. It says, after these things, God gave them judges until the Samuel, the uh, the prophet. So he gives the nation judges. And then the eighth one, it says in verse 21, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And so what does it say here? That God gives the nation a king. God is the one who places kings and leaders into place. Sure, there might be votes, but God is the one who puts kings into place and rulers, leaders, presidents, you name it. He ultimately is the one who puts them there. And then look at uh, the, the ninth one in verse 22. Then it says this, um, after he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so two right here. What is he also, he not only places kings, but he also removes kings. And that's what he did with Saul, and he fills that place with a little shepherd boy who had a sling and some rocks and took down a giant. And God did that, and God put David into the place of king. And so Paul continues, even with the 10th declaration there, to say, hey, God put an unlikely king into place to be the king of Israel. And then look at the 11th one, and before we do, I want you to just pause for a second, because this ramps up, this this rolls, and what's gonna happen in in, in the 11th declaration that he makes is it's gonna be a little harder to see, but we're gonna see it, because Paul has just talked about kind of this, this history that we find in the Old Testament, and now he's about to make a transition, a pretty quick one, to what the New Testament talks about, and so what he's doing here is he's gonna show us how everything in redemptive history points to what he's about to share in the 11th declaration. And here's what he shares in verse 23. He says this, from the descendants of this man. Back in verse 22, he was talking about David. And so that's what he's talking about. From the descendants of David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior. He's brought to them Jesus. God has done this. And so what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey, everything in history Everything is now pointing to this climactic moment that God has brought Jesus to be a savior, to be there, the people of Israel, the Gentiles, to be their Messiah. He's a descendant of David, meaning this, that his kingdom will last 
forever. And so that's the 11th one. God has brought Jesus. The 12th one is this. Look what he says in verse 24 and 25. After John had proclaimed before his coming, Jesus' coming, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And what's the point that Paul is making here with referring to John the Baptist? He's saying that God appointed John to prepare the way of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And Jesus is the center of God's redemptive history. It's all pointing to him, and that's what John did. John said, hey, it's not about me. God has called me. As we find out in Malachi, there would be one who prepared the way. John's that guy. But who's he pointing to? He's pointing to Jesus. And then the 13th one is found in verse 26. He says, brethren, Sons of Abraham's family, those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. And so who has sent this message of salvation? God has. Who has sent it out? God has. He planned it. He accomplished this salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, and now he is sending that message out. And then look At the 14th one in verse 27, listen to what he says next. A a full verse of a lot of stuff. He says in verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And so what's Paul saying here? He's saying there are those who were in Jerusalem, rulers, and they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And they would sit in gatherings like this in synagogues when um, the the law and the prophets would be read and they'd hear things from like Isaiah 53 or even like in Isaiah 9 or Isaiah 11 that would talk about a Messiah who would come and that he would be a suffering servant, that he would be the suffering Messiah. And they sat under that and they heard that, but they didn't understand that it was pointing to Jesus Christ. But those very prophecies that spoke of the suffering servant being condemned to death, what God did is he used those who did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, those who didn't understand that truth. He used those to be the ones who would condemn him to death. And so even here, Paul is saying, I want you to see the hand and the work of God, the predetermined plan of God to bruise his own son and to put him on the cross using those who didn't see him for who he really was. And so God did what was planned. God did what was prophesied through these who didn't get who Jesus was. And then look at verse 29. This is the 15th one. It says, When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And so the rest... The trial, the death of Jesus Christ was all part of God's plan is what Paul is communicating. And then look at verse 30 and 31, and this is the last declaration, number 16. He says, but God raised him from the dead, Jesus, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And so what is Paul saying here? He's saying that Jesus is alive. God has raised him up. And now today, we stand here as witnesses of this message of salvation. And it's now being sent out. 
And so why does Paul go in these many verses, about 16 of them, why does he make these declarations? What's the point of them? What was he saying? What he was saying was simply this, that God is the God of history, that he is God of all, that he is great, and that he is glorious. He's been at work, he continues to work, and he is the meaning of everything. Everything relates to him. And he wants us to see that. He wants us to get that. And so what does that mean for you and I this morning? What, what is this lengthy section of history? What does it mean for you and I? Let's think about it this way. In, in, in about three weeks, for some of us, maybe two, for, for teachers and administrators, maybe it's already starting to ramp up, but school's about to start. It's coming. Um, and, and so how does school relate to God? Why does school relate to God? Well, first of all, he's the creator of learning. He's the creator of knowledge. He wants us to learn. He he wants us to know. He wants us to study. He wants us to know math. He wants us to know English. Why? Because we are created in his image. He he wants us to be learners. He wants us to be knowledgeable so that, that we can be equipped witnesses of him. And so even, yes, school relates back to him because even there he wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to be the light of the world. And so, yes, it all relates back to him, even going to school. So those students, those teachers, administrators, you go back, remember that, hey, this is about God. This relates to him. He, he's in your studies. He's in your teaching. He's in it. It relates to marriage. God tells us in Ephesians 5 that, that marriage is a beautiful picture of what God is doing in redemptive history, that, that he has come, he has sent his son and to bring forth a bride, a church. And so we see through marriage this beautiful picture of what God is doing in the world. To redeem people, to forgive people, to bring people back into a relationship with him. And, and marriage paints a beautiful picture of that. And so even, yes, marriage relates back to him. Everything relates back to him. Even your parenting, even raising up your kids. That it relates to him. That we would never miss that. We would not forget that it is my role to raise up my kids in the way of the Lord. And that just like God who cared for Israel and guided them and sustained them through the wilderness, that I am to guide and sustain and care for my kiddos in this day and age, in this very wilderness, that I am to do just as God has done and point them to him. Tomorrow as we step foot Back in the office, maybe some of us later today, the workplace, it all relates back to him. Paul says that we are to work unto the Lord. We don't work just for our boss. We don't work just for the paycheck, but we work for the glory of God because God is the creator of work. He made it. And so we're to steward that, that job for his glory. And so what's the point of what Paul is saying here? Don't miss God. He's great. He's glorious. He's doing everything. Don't miss out on him. Every day, he is at work. And he wants to use you, just like he did Paul, just like he did his companions, to be those witnesses of the great hope of salvation. And in the end of it, he wants the second point to happen. It all leads to Christ. That's the goal of history. That's the goal of redemptive history. That's the goal of everything, that it all comes back to Jesus. We've seen a glimpse of that already this morning, but I want to show you how he does that. Look at verse 32 real quick, and I'm going to read to you through verse 37. He says, We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. 
that God has fulfilled his promise, this promise, to our children and that he raised up Jesus that is also written in the second psalm and he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he is spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was laid among his fathers and underwent decay, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. And so what's Paul saying here? He's saying everything points to God's son, Jesus Christ. He's the message of salvation. The the promise that was made to David, that there would be a kingdom that would last forever. What is not a promise to David himself because David would die and undergo decay, but it was a promise about the one who would come in the line of David, the son of God, who would not undergo decay, but that would raise up And he lives forever. And he is king of the kingdom of God. And so what Paul is saying is this. All of what God is doing is pointing to Jesus. And God wants you to know him. Paul wants this crowd today to know Jesus. He wants you here many years later to know Jesus. And to know him as your savior. But how can we know God? How can we know his son, Jesus? And Paul answers that. He applies everything that he's talking about in history and everything that history is pointing to, the son of God. He wants us to know, how do we apply this? What does this mean for us? And look what he says in verse 38 through 39. He says, therefore, let it be known to you. So he wants them to listen up, wants them to hear, he wants them to know this. Brethren, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Okay, here's what we're gonna do for a second. Okay, we just got a huge history lesson. And now the teacher Paul wants us to stop and say, okay, I want you to apply this. I want you to get this. I want you to understand that there is the offering of forgiveness. I want you to understand that there is an offering of freedom. But how do we receive that? And he answers that. But I want you to understand, what does all that mean for us? What Jesus did, what does this mean, this forgiveness and this freedom from all these things that the law of Moses could not free us from? What does it mean? I want to show you, and I'm going to do this through just two pictures this morning. All right. First of all, I'm going to need some help. I need my... Oldest son, Where, where's Noah? Where's Eli? Are they, you guys in here this morning? Are they running tech? They're running tech, okay? No, no, you don't have to get him. You don't have to get him. Um, I need Sam and Ryan. Come on, Ryan, you didn't know you were gonna be put to work this morning. You come all the way, get baptized. You think this is gonna be a cool day, easy day, and sit back, listen to a sermon. Now you gotta come up here. All right, you don't have to do this. You guys are gonna stand on hold. You stand over here by this guitar. All right, don't play it. <laughs> all right. First of all, I want to show you this. You guys have seen this before if you were part of VBS. Um, real easy illustration. But I want you to get this. I love this illustration. Uh, it's great for kids. Um, and sometimes I'm a big kid. And so I figured, why not this morning do this? So here's what I'm going to do this morning. Is, okay, so when Paul says that in Jesus there is forgiveness, what does that mean for you and I? 
I mean, what's a picture of that? What does that really look like? And so here's, here's just a simple way to think about that this morning. Jesus, the Bible tells us, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he knew no sin. He knew no sin. But that he became sin on our behalf. Now, how did that happen? When he goes to the cross, remember we talked about that. God put him on a cross. He used those who condemned him to death to do what? To bring forgiveness to you and I. And so on the cross, he bears the weight of our sin. He bears the sin of mankind. He bears that. And so God does that for you and I. He bears the sin of the world. He takes it upon himself on the cross. But then there's you and I. You and I, God made us in his image. We see that back in Genesis 1. We see it in Genesis 2. We see that we are perfect without sin. But then we see the fall of man that came through Adam. And that ushered into humanity, and all of us are born in depravity. We are sinners. And sin has impacted us. It's caused us to be guilty, to be impure. And what it has done is it has separated us from Jesus Christ, the holy and righteous one. It separated us from God. And so there's a huge problem, a huge problem. And that's why Paul mentions what he does is that we all need forgiveness. We need to be forgiven. We need to be free from all the things that there is nothing else in this world that can set us free from, but Jesus Christ can. In fact, the rest of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, he became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And so how does that happen? Well, he says in verse 38 through 39, we must do what? We must believe. And when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are changed. We are made clean. In fact, that word freed this morning, that word freed literally means justified. It means fully acquitted. It means we have a clean slate. And that's what Jesus Christ does. And I want you to give it another picture of what this looks like. When I was in Guadalajara, see that towel back there? I want you guys to unwrap that, and what's inside of it, I want you to pick it up. <laughs> I want you to throw the picture up. Hey, when we were in Guadalajara, we uh, got to be a part of something that's really cool. This right here is a biker bar, okay? Uh, I hear that every good story starts with a bar. So anyway, just need to tell you that. Uh, there's three men, there's three men there in a bar. Um, here, stand over here. You guys stand here. The guy... On this side, in the black shirt, that's Paul. Many of you guys know Paul, a missionary in Guadalajara that we're connected with, um, doing a great work there. Paul's an awesome man. Uh, he's been here many of times. And then I want you to uh, meet Yoel, or we'll just call him Joel this morning for, for easiness. He's the guy with the braids coming down and uh, the jean uh, shorts uh, from, I guess, back in the 90s, right? That would have been the 90s. <laughs> Look, this guy is awesome. This guy's awesome. So about six years ago, he shut down this biker bar. Um, and this is a biker bar that, man, brutal. Seven murders in it. Uh, he, that's just kind of what happens in biker bars, right? And, and so it, it's still intact. In fact, over there, you, you'll see a lot of bikes and stuff like that. He's still a mechanic on bikes. But six years ago, he got saved. And he shut down the biker bar. He shut it down. And it no longer functions as that. Instead, they meet there for church. 
Some of you guys have heard that story when Paul is here, but how amazing it was for our group to walk in that place. We walked in there twice, at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. He made a meal for us. He, he, he uh, grilled 80 wild boar ribs, and that's what we're doing here is we're, we're chewing down some wild boar. And it was a, an awesome thing. But what was cool while I was there, I, there was this yoke. And my wife will tell you I've always wanted a yoke. You might be thinking, What? That's kind of a weird pastor thing, but I've always wanted one, and I saw this, and I mentioned to Robert, who read scripture this morning, I was like, hey, I wonder where you could get one of those, and, and uh, he said, well, I'll go ask him, and, and all of a sudden, um, this became a gift to me, and, yeah, and, and Joel gave it to me, and then, uh, which I was still blown away by, um, and he walked up, and he, and he handed it to me, he's like, here, I want, I want you to, to have this, and I'm like, man, wow, and um, it, it made it back uh, in one piece all the way from, from Guadalajara to Dallas, which is amazing. Um, but, but guys, hold this up for a little bit. When you think about this, Jesus um, speaks of a yoke. And, and I think we see it in this text today. When you, when you hear him say that, that we can be freed from all things, that the law of Moses could not free us from. Paul in Galatians talks about a yoke of slavery. And when he's talking about a yoke, he's, he's obviously not talking about egg yoke. He's talking about this kind of yoke. And so what that means is we are enslaved to sin and death. We are entrapped in a yoke like this. But this yoke that we're entrapped with by sin and death is heavy. It is a burden. It weighs us down. We can't lift it up. But we are trapped in this. But what's cool about the text this morning is it says, is in Jesus we are forgiven and we are freed from all things. And so the yoke of slavery has been lifted up and Jesus has now said, I want you to believe in me. And when you believe in me, you're taking on a new yoke, a new yoke. And what's cool about it is he's saying to us, I'm, uh, it's my yoke, so uh, he, his, let's pretend his head's here, all right? And he's saying to us, I want you to believe, I want you to put your head in this yoke with me and do life with me. And when you do that, you'll be freed from all things and experience freedom. So think about this, Matthew chapter 11, verse will be on the screen. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me all who are weary. Everyone who is heavy laden, laden by the yoke of slavery, by that kind of yoke. And then he says, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest from this yoke of slavery. This isn't a nap time kind of rest. This is, I'm going to give you rest from the, the sin and, and the guilt and everything that has weighed you down. All the mistakes in life, everything that, that Satan tries to beat you up over, everything that weighs you down. I'm going to give you rest from that. And so then he invites us, he says, Take my yoke, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke, it is easy, and my burden is light. Why? Because I have come to forgive you, make you clean. I've set you free when nothing else could. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. And guys, when we, he says, take my yoke upon you, basically what he's saying is exactly what Paul says. Believe, believe, believe in who Christ is. And then Paul says this, and we'll wrap up on this note. He says in verse 41 and 42, back to the text real quick. He says, brothers, take heed so that 
the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. So he gives them hope. Forgiveness, freedom can be yours by believing. But he also gives a warning here. Anytime you hear take heed, it's a warning. And so look what he says in verse 41. He says, behold you scoffers and marvel and perish for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe though someone should describe it to you. What's Paul saying here? He mentions back, or he mentions Habakkuk 1, chapter 5, or Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. If you read Habakkuk, it's a short little book, three chapters, it talks about the wrath of God that falls on Israel because of their sin. And what Paul is saying here is to those who do not believe, the wrath of God will fall on them. They will never be released from the yoke of slavery but instead they will perish forever. And so Paul tells this crowd, be warned. And so what's the message? The message is God is at work. He's been at work. We see the thread through the redemptive history that we've seen this morning. It points to Jesus. And he is the only hope of freedom. He's the only hope of forgiveness. And so what must we do? We must believe. We must believe. And with parting words in verse 43, he tells the crowd that day, he says, take courage. Continue to walk in grace. Continue to walk in grace. And so what does that mean for you and I? I I think it means continue to cling to Christ, continue to trust in him. This morning, I, I trust in Christ because I'm a sinner. I need him. This morning, I I trust in Christ because he's all I've got. He's all I've got that can help me. He's the only one that can forgive me. He's the only one that can bring freedom. He's it. I, I trust in Christ because God is at work, and he made Christ Savior for me, for me. And for you, I trust in Christ because God raised him from the dead. He's alive and he's the king of kings. So why do you trust in Christ this morning? Have you trusted in Christ this morning? Believe in him. Let me pray.